Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to have you all here this morning. Thanks for joining us uh, as we continue our series, Summer in the Psalms. How many of you have enjoyed this summer series that we've been in? Two of you? <laughs> I want to thank Pastor Life and uh, our team of many communicators that have joined us uh, to support our church, and we've been really blessed by a great team. And it's been a delight for me to at least be able to drop in near the end of this series and be able to add my voice to what I think is uh, the most powerful, really, collection of, of books, of songs that we have throughout Scripture, uh, the 150 Psalms. And you have just gotten a, a little... Uh, kind of a snippet, just a wedding of your appetite about all of the richness that are found in these Psalms. And so I shared with you my first week back when I just greeted you briefly that, uh, that there were a couple of Psalms that God used in my life. There were a couple of Psalms that came and spoke to me during my sabbatical this summer while I wasn't here at Grace Crossing Church. And um, these are two that I've discerned to share with our body, to bring to our church. And I want to bring the second one this morning as we kind of near the finish line of this summer series. We'll end it next weekend. I want to share with you the second psalm that God used to speak to me during my sabbatical, Psalm 131. Now, before we go to Psalm 131, let me give you a frame for this psalm. Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms in all 150 just three verses. It actually is part of a collection of psalms. There are 15 of them that are called Songs of Ascent. So historically, Jewish worshipers would sing these psalms as they made their way and ascended the road to Jerusalem for the three pilgrim festivals. These were the psalms. Psalm 120 to 134 were these Songs of Ascent. They were designed to guide people through the valleys as they were making their way through the mountains and up the mountain of life to get people's heart to the top. You know, sometimes in life we go through deep valleys and we need something that encourages us, something that strengthens us, something that reminds us that we are still overcomers in Christ. And these psalms were the way that they encouraged their hearts. These God-fearing followers would encourage these hearts with these songs of ascent. This Psalm 131 is also known as a psalm of confidence. And these are psalms that actually begin with lament, a passionate expression of sorrow and sadness and grief. But these psalms of confidence always end by reaffirming. The psalmist always reaffirms their confidence in God. So penned by David, Psalm 131 is one of these psalms of confidence. What David is doing in Psalm 131 is David is reminding himself of the fact that he has complete confidence in God. And because he has complete confidence in God, he then can totally surrender to God as a child. Now, there were two invitations God gave me before I went into my sabbatical. One of those invitations was, come and just be my beloved child. 
And there were a couple of verses God used early in my sabbatical to kind of help me understand what he was trying to do in my heart. One was Matthew chapter 11, which actually says this in verse 29, simply join your life with mine. Some versions say, take my yoke upon you. Here's what the literal rendering means. It means bend your neck to my yoke. A yoke was simply used metaphorically to tie two animals together to work as one. And the focus of this is not simply work, it's union with Jesus. And God's saying here, Jesus is inviting me, he's inviting you, simply join your life, bend your neck to my yoke, learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please. I grew up with a dad that was none of those. My recollections of my father were that he was demanding. He was not easy to please. He was certainly not gentle and not humble. Maybe you grew up with a dad like that too. I want you to know that's not our father. That's not our father in heaven. That's not how he treats us. And God throughout my sabbatical was reminding me again and again and again of his gentleness, his humility, and the fact that he's not demanding, he's easy to please. You will find that he says refreshment and rest in me. And that was what my sabbatical was. It was about refreshment and rest. The second verse God used was out of John's gospel, chapter 15. And it actually coincides with that verse I just read. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Did you catch that? To the same way, to the same degree that the father loved his son, to that degree he has loved us. And then he tells us this, abide in my love. That word abide means to make yourself at home, to relax, to rest. Make yourself at home in my love, relax in my love. The invitation to rest and refreshment is not an invitation to a place. It is an invitation to a person. And that person is Jesus. And I realized that in my sabbatical, I was having a very easy time receiving God's love for me and focusing on his love for me as his beloved child. And it dawned on me. Why was I not resisting it like I used to? Why was I not pushing back like I've once did? Why was I receiving at such a deep heart level, deep within my soul, waves of grace, waves of love washing over me? And I realized the answer to that in a companion verse in the first letter John wrote, 1 John chapter 4 where John actually says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Now notice this. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. How is it that we experience God's abiding love? How is it that we experience God's limitless love? The only way we can do it to its fullest in perfection is by experiencing it through others. Let me just say it this way. 
We can never experience the depths of God's limitless love without first experiencing the limitless love of others. Until that point, God's love is just something abstract. It's just a nice idea. It's theologically a good thing, but it never goes deep. And what makes it go deep what perfects God's love, what helps it abide in us is when we can accept the limitless love of other people in our lives, in our brokenness, in our failures, in our weaknesses, in our limits, and in our vulnerabilities. We experience God's perfect love through each other. And may we, Grace Crossing Church, never ever forget that. That if there's something that we want to be known for in this community, it is our love for one another. Because our love for one another proves that we are God's disciples. It also shows that God's love is perfect in us. So David is writing a psalm that is about an understanding of the depth of God's love for him. And the fact that because he can have complete confidence in God, he can then totally surrender to God. In fact, Psalm 131, the overarching theme of it is surrender. And not just any kind of surrender, childlike surrender. Surrender as a beloved child of God. It is coming and reaching a place where your soul has become so calm and so quieted that you are now at complete peace with the Savior who loved you and gave his life for you. You're no longer wrestling. You're no longer resisting. Your heart is finally at rest. Now, when we talk about childlike surrender, I think there are three aspects of it that actually Psalm 131 punctuate. These are all significant Evidences and trademarks of what I would call childlike surrender. The first one is that childlike surrender begins, begins in the heart. It's actually a posture of the heart. Here's how David opens the first part of Psalm 131, verse number one. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. David begins by expressing that childlike surrender is an attitude of the heart. David, with his many accomplishments and his many claims to fame that he had in his life and in his career, as a shepherd, as a warrior, as a king, David could have proudly boasted in this psalm about all the things he had done, all that he had accomplished as he looked back on his life, but he doesn't. He chooses instead to resist pride and retain humility as he comes before God. And then he gives this beautiful example of how he chooses humility over pride in the second part of verse number one. He says this, I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Think about how much of our life is lived trying to make sense 
out of what we don't understand? How much mental energy do you spend, do you think, every day trying to come up with solutions to problems that you may not be able to fix? Or fixing problems that may not be fixable? How much time do we spend talking with others about issues that are so complex for us and so difficult for us to grasp, and yet we spend our energy there? I'll be honest with you, since December of 2020, that's where we've been living. We've been living a lot of our time learning about advanced stage cancer, learning about things that didn't make sense to us and still don't. And also recognizing that there is a future here that we simply don't understand. It is uncertain to us. We are looking through a glass darkly, but filled with hope. Now as a child, children do not stress out about how much they know and how much they don't know, right? I mean, children leave the lion's share of thinking and the lion's share of knowing to mom and dad. They don't sweat the small stuff about how are we gonna get from here to there? We were at Disney for a few days this week with our four Mueller grandkids. It was a wonderful time, but never once did our kids ask, those grandkids ask, how are we gonna get there? Where do we pick up the shuttle? What's the number of the bus? They didn't worry about it, right? They just went along for the ride as we took them to where they were going. It's only as we grow up that we start to stress out about things that we simply don't know. How many um, Jeopardy fans do we have here this morning? Oh, good. I'm not one either, so don't, you're in good company if you didn't raise your hand. But I do watch it from time to time. My wife will turn it on, and sometimes it's just that kind of after-dinner thing. You know, you just watch a little news, and then you watch Wheel of Fortune, and then now while you're watching Wheel of Fortune, you might as well just let Jeopardy on in the background, right? And the reason I don't watch Jeopardy is because I feel like a huge idiot whenever I watch Jeopardy. Come on, are you, am I in good company this morning? I mean, I watch Jeopardy, and the more I watch it through that half hour, the more idiotic I begin to feel. The more ignorant I recognize I really am. I do not know anything when it comes to trivia. I mean, I am just out of my element. And every once in a while, there will be a category they're announcing, and it'll say something that has to do with the Bible. I'll say, oh, honey, you better come in here. This is my category. And I can't even get the answers to my category. They're beating me to the buzzer. So frustrating. So frustrating. So we were shopping with our grandkids a few weeks back, and my uh, seven-year-old uh, grandson was picking out a game that he wanted, and, and, and so I said to my nine-year-old, why don't you pick out a game? And I helped him find one. It was called Trivia, Parents versus Kids. And I thought, man, this is my kind of game, you know? <laughs> this is my kind of game. Like, I can win this one. And I did okay for the first part of it until you got your nine-year-old grandson, Shane, on the other side, the kid's side. If you know Shane, you know this kid just, he reads books. And I mean, I'm not talking little books with pictures. 400-page books, he reads and retains this information. He's answering questions for the kids and the parents. I said, this just isn't fair. I can't figure it out. Listen, in life, there are things that we just simply don't know. And let me give you one of the aspects, one of the ways in which we practice surrender. One of the ways we practice surrender is by accepting our limits. 
by accepting the fact that there are things we just don't know. David in this psalm comes to a point where he just says, simply says this, I don't know everything. But what I do know is my limits. I know that there are just some, some things that are too comprehensive or too complex. They're too awesome. They're too great. They're too mysterious for me to even grasp. And I want to admit that, that that is a limit for me. Listen, friends, there are some things in life that we are just not intended to know the answer to because the answer itself will not satisfy us. I want you to hear a story this morning from our facility director, JT Buckowitz. And I want you to hear his story of when he came to our church, what drew him, and then kind of his journey from there to where he is today. It's just a beautiful story that actually illustrates what we're talking about. So would you give a hand to, uh, to JT as he comes this morning? Good morning. Um, I think the first thing that when Gil asked me to share this story, I started thinking about my own life and learning. And I learned one thing already this morning from Taurus, wear a hat, because this, I don't know how he does this, um, Gil up here every week. But the story Gil's talking about, I'll share that first and kind of give some context to it. So um, we started attending Grace Crossing Church in 2013, uh, end of 2013, beginning of 2014. And kind of the journey to get there was, I grew up kind of opposite of what Gil said. I was the kid who wanted to know how are we getting there. I wanted to know, I wanted to know everything. To me, knowledge was what made me valuable. Um, that's how I saw myself, that's how I fit in. Um, and when I read those first two lines of 131, I was the exact opposite of that. I was very prideful of it. I thought I knew everything. I was the kid who knew everything. I prided myself on knowing everything. Um, I was arrogant about it. Um, I tell a lot of people before, before coming to Christ, I was a jerk. I get to say jerk in church, which is kind of cool. I was a jerk. Um, it's, it really doesn't surprise me now when I look back to see that I didn't have a whole lot of people that cared about me or friends that I was close to because I didn't allow that to happen because to me, knowledge was everything. Be as smart as you could. Know everything you can know. And, you know, in my faith, I, I didn't grow up going to church a whole lot um, until I got to high school because uh, I got sent to a Catholic school. But I remember one statement when I was a kid at a uh, Sunday school, you know, you learn the song, Jesus loved me. Yes, I know, because the Bible tells me so. And I believe that to a certain extent, because it made sense. And I was told that, right? But then I got to a point where I started learning, growing, and I questioned the Bible. And I'm like, well, is that real? Is that? And so I always had all these questions. And, you know, my wife and I uh, had kids, took him to church. Uh, we went to the Catholic church and we would go there. And in 2013, we had an experience where we were at a conference and on a Sunday morning, there was a non-denominational church service and everybody said, you got to go. And I was like, okay. And I sat there for an hour. And at the end of it, something just said, JT, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And I told my wife that I said, I don't know what it was, but there's just this feeling we're missing something. So we came back and we started looking for churches. And um, I had a friend who had always offered for me to come to church. And then he said, hey, this church I'm at now, I think you'd really connect and, and like the pastor. So I said, all right, we'll go. We came to Grace Crossing, long story short. Haven't left. That's been, I was just telling pastor life, seven years. Um, but in that, I got to meet Gil at a church picnic. 
Um, and I won't go into all the details of how we actually met. Um, but in that, we, we started a friendship. I, I told him, I said, hey, I have some questions. I, I need to learn, right? I need to know. First thing I did once we came to Grace Crossing, I went home and I Googled, like, what type of church is it? And I found out it was Protestant. And I was like, oh, Protestant, Catholic, we can't do this. Like, my wife and I, no, oh, well, this doesn't work. That's kind of how I, but we, we read more and I'm, I'm on the computer learning. And I'm like, no, this makes sense. So I said, Gil, I have questions. He goes, well, let's meet. I said, okay. He said, bring your list of questions. So I set up a meeting. I have my list of questions. I come in and I said, hey, I've got my list. He goes, great, let me see it. And we're in his office and I hand it to him and he looks over and he goes, oh, I can answer all of these. And I'm telling you, I sat on my chair and I leaned in. I'm like, yes, because these are questions like, I don't know, well, now I know there's not a whole lot of answers to, but he looked at me, looked at that paper and he crumbled it up and he threw it in the trash can. <laughs> now, this was the first time anybody had denied me knowledge. Like, I love to learn. Like, it was... It was a gift because he said, what you're looking for, these questions aren't gonna answer. The answers to these questions aren't gonna fulfill you. And I just, it just struck me so much that I knew something, I was missing something still, right? And then that's when, it, when I realized I was trying to know things instead of knowing someone. Um, and when that hit me, well, I didn't expect to get this way. Um, when that hit me, it changed everything. Because there are questions now, I still question things. I love to question things. I like watching how things are made. And of course, that's why I tinker and fix and do things here. But I don't need to know things now. There's so many times somebody will ask me a question or I, I wanna dive into something and I go, but it doesn't really matter. It just doesn't matter. I don't need to know that because what I know is that I'm loved. And I think that's what I was always looking for when I was gaining knowledge. I thought I'd be valued. I thought I'd be loved for what I knew. But I, I realized I was loved for who I am. And that, that has changed everything. And uh, that is Grace Crossing Church. And that's why I love being here. So thanks, Gil. Thank you. Okay. There's, there's two things you got to know about the story he just shared. Number one, the church picnic. He unseated me as the cornhole champion. That was, that was not something a, a guy who comes to a church picnic doesn't attend your church should do, right? I'm like, who's this ringer that this guy brought? The second thing about that story is I'm not a great counselor, okay? So it was, but there was a prompting I had from the Lord that as I sat with JT, there was something he was looking for that wasn't found on that paper. And he responded to it. And I'm really thankful that he did. I love your story, JT. Thanks so much for sharing it. Can I tell you that as I, as I look at scripture, I think one of the things I've become aware of is this, that the original sin was not disobeying God. I think the original sin was substituting intimacy with God for the knowledge of God. That was the original sin. It was substituting intimacy with God for the knowledge of God. Genesis chapter two, verse 17 in the garden. Here's what God says to Adam and Eve. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice it wasn't just evil. This wasn't a bad tree. This was also a very good tree. But he said, I, I don't want you to eat of this tree of knowledge for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
And the enemy comes along, the serpent, in chapter three of Genesis. Here's what it says. Verses four through six. The serpent, who is Satan in form of a serpent, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And notice, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for, for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Here's what Adam and Eve are doing in this moment. They are powering up to God because that's what knowledge does, doesn't it? It powers us up. It makes us feel more than what we are intended to be. Somehow knowledge makes us feel superiority. And Adam and Eve are, are wanting to power up to God in this moment. Perhaps that's why Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what a profound truth. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. God never intended our big ambition to be knowledge. He intended the big ambition of our life to be love. Not that knowledge isn't needed or important, friends, it is. But we've got to keep it in perspective. There are things we are not intended to know. There are things that will be shrouded in mystery as long as we walk this earth and we can find ourselves getting caught up in wanting answers to questions that were never intended to be revealed to us. That's what Adam and Eve, they wanted the answers to the questions. They wanted the power up to God. David in Psalm 131 admits something. He, he admits that he has limits. But let me tell you a second way that we practice surrender we practice surrender by letting go. Letting go. Letting go of the need to know. In fact, if I were to reduce, if, if the Christian life were, were to be reduced to just two words, I think those would be the words. Let go. Let go of your misplaced loves. Let go of your disordered priorities. Let go of your need to be first, to be right, to be more. Let it go. God came to me on my sabbatical and revealed to me that I have this temptation that I give into often in my life, especially in my leadership. And that is this temptation to be more. To be more. And Gil, somehow you gotta be more. You gotta be more powerful. You gotta be more impressive. You gotta be more insightful. You gotta be more, more, more. And God said, listen, that is a temptation. That is not a gift of my grace to you. Resist it. Resist it. Do what David does in Psalm 131. And what he does in Psalm 131 is he does a second thing. There's a second characteristic of childlike surrender that we see in Psalm 131. And it's this. Childlike surrender brings a calm and a contentment. It brings a calm and a contentment. When we can finally let go of our grip, release the grasp, and finally just become enough in God's presence, 
We saw all of a sudden start to recognize that we are his beloved son or his beloved daughter, not because of what we do or don't do, but because he chose us. He loves us unconditionally, limitless, no boundaries, no breaking points. Verse number two of Psalm 131, we see this idea of a calm and contentment. Instead of grasping for knowledge, instead of grasping after things that are too wonderful, David says, instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, David uses a very uncharacteristic illustration for common contentment here. It's not very macho. But it is perhaps one of the most beautiful illustrations for what calmness and contentment look like. If you have ever seen a child that has just been nursed, if you have ever seen a child who actually is satisfied, then you know the look I'm talking about. This is my now 11-month-old granddaughter, adopted granddaughter, Emma. It's a picture right after she's done feeding. Just look at that face. Take it in this morning. Is this how your soul looks in the presence of God with everything you've got and you're holding in your life right now? Do you find yourself at a place of such peace and contentment and satisfaction? I, I can't think of a better picture of what peace and contentment and satisfaction look like than that little face right there. Don't you just want to grab those cheeks and kiss that little girl? A child that is nursed, a child that is just fed, is not wondering and worrying about whether there'll be more milk when they need it. Now, a child that is just nursed and is just fed, a child like that is content, is satisfied that everything is there that they've needed, that their heart is now at rest and they can just relax because all is well. This is the word picture David uses to talk about the condition of his soul. I don't know about you, but in my life, when things get crazy, when I feel like things are spinning out of control, that's not what my soul looks like. My soul gets stirred up. I find myself getting frustrated that I can't control things, that I can't fix things, that I don't have the answers. David here has finally reached a place of inner release. He's, he's no longer fighting. He's no longer resisting. He, he's, he's reached a place where, guess what? He is content with what is and doesn't have to know what will be. He can trust God with his future because God has come to him and completely satisfied his soul. Let me ask you a question this morning. 
What is, it, what is it in your life right now that you are grasping on and holding on to tightly? I know what God had to wrestle me to the ground with in my sabbatical. What is it that you're, you've got such a tight grip on and you say, I can't let it go because if I let it go, I don't know what will happen. Or I can't let it go because I have faith. I have faith God's going to fix it. God's going to take care of it the way that I want. Let me ask you, is it faith or is it fear? Is it fear that if you let go, there'll be nothing left at the end? David recognizes there are things about his life and future he doesn't have answers to. But like a weaned child, so is his soul within him. And that is an invitation that God gives to each of us today. You know the old song that we, many of us here know, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It's one thing to sing a song about it being well with your soul. It's another thing for it actually to be well with your soul. And I've been saying it a lot. I said it a lot through my sabbatical. All is well and all will be well. I don't know what that all means, but I know that my soul is content within me. That I can let go because I can be completely confident in God. I can trust God like a child with my future. I can have childlike surrender. And there's a final thing that childlike surrender that we see in Psalm 131 that's really significant. Childlike surrender provides us biblical hope. I want to qualify this this morning. Childlike surrender doesn't just provide hope. It provides biblical hope. And let me give you a definition for biblical hope. Biblical hope is eternal optimism. It is optimism in God. It is optimism that God is for us and not against us. It is optimism that God is good even when things aren't good. Eternal optimism is a biblical hope that God offers to us. And we read this in Psalm 131, the final verse, verse number three, where David writes this, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. David here shifts from his own experience, and now he opens it up to others. And he says, listen, just as I have done this, I want to encourage you to do this. Because why is my soul content within me? Why am I like a weaned child? Because I've put my hope in God. I haven't put my hope in circumstances. I haven't put my hope in my financial accounts. I haven't put my hope in what's happening in the political arena. I haven't put my hope in whether or not this pandemic stops or continues. I haven't put my hope in doctors. I've put my hope in God. He's my hope. When we were on our sabbatical, we had a couple of weeks, which was a gift to us. We got to go to a beautiful place in Florida, a place we could have never imagined being. And we got there at the airport and we picked up a, a rental car and we were surprised to see that the license plate on the rental car was actually from South Carolina, not from Florida. I don't know how many of you are familiar with South Carolina's state motto, but here it is. Notice the top of it. 
while I breathe. I hope. I love that motto. While I breathe. In fact, I, I Googled it right. I thought this cannot be the state motto. There, there's, this gotta be just somebody put that on a license plate. No, it is. That's her state motto. While I breathe, I hope. How cool is that? This became our mantra during our sabbatical. Kelly and I looked at each other so often. We said to one another, while we breathe, we hope. While we breathe, we hope. And I want you to know this morning, that invitation to put your hope in God now and always is not just for Israel. It's for me, it's for you. When I was in Bible college studying for the ministry, I was working, Kelly and I were serving at a church in their youth ministry, youth and young adult ministry as, as leaders. I was given, we were both presented with a Bible uh, at an event that we had. And it was a personalized Bible. It actually is a personalized Bible that everywhere a name appears in scripture, it takes the name out and puts your name into it. It's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible resource and gift. I've cherished it since the day I received it many, many years ago. I want you to do that this morning. I want, you, I want to invite you as we transition to communion to take the name Israel out of that verse. Let's put that back up there, verse number three. And I want you now to put your name in place of Israel. Because that's what God invited me to do on my sabbatical. Oh, Gil. Oh, Gil. Put your hope in the Lord. Now and always. I want you to put your name in that right now. As our band comes, as Taurus prepares to come. I want you to put your name in there. And I want you now to hold that before the Lord as we move into communion. Oh, your name. Put your hope in the Lord, not just today, but always. Why? Because God, we can have complete confidence in God. And because of that, we can totally surrender to God as a child. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.